This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. The following episode is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to an exciting episode of Material Is Your Business. We are recording live here at Coterie in Jacob Javits Center. And if you've ever wondered about manufacturing, in particular ethical manufacturing, and want to know how to avoid the issues like in Bangladesh with factories collapsing and with human trafficking going on around the world, well, then this is the conversation for you. We are here today with Clay Hickson, the Vice President of Strategy and Business Development at RAP, the Worldwide Responsible Accredited Production. And the show starts right now. Hi, I'm Clay Hickson, Vice President, Strategy and Business Development at RAP, which is Worldwide Responsible Accredited Production. What I love about materials is that they are the building blocks of things. Building blocks include information, include very basic elements that go into bigger and greater things. And so with us at RAP, we are using materials in a variety of ways as sources of information and to help us figure out how to do the certifications and education activities that we participate in. This is Material Is Your Business, a podcast covering the science, technology, and business of materials and manufacturing. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Powered by Sennheiser. Your hosts for this episode are Stephanie Benedetto, CEO and co-founder of Queen of Raw, and Samantha Cortez, international consultant and founder of Samantha's Platform. And now, here are your hosts. Hey everyone, I'm Stephanie Benedetto and I'm joined by my co-host, Samantha Cortez. Hola! And today we're here with Clay Hickson from RAP. Hi Clay! Hi, everyone. Great to be with you. Hi, Clay. We're excited to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. So, RAP, Worldwide Responsible Accredited Production. It has a lot of interesting words. What does it all mean? Well, we are a nonprofit organization that in very simple terms mean we are a sweatshop watchdog. That means <laughs> we want to make sure that manufacturers are ethical manufacturers. That is a powerful uh, title to give yourself. And kudos to you guys. (laughs) How do you do that? Well, we strive through two main mechanisms to accomplish this mission. The first is through certification, and the second is through education. We certify that the manufacturers in the apparel, textile, and footwear sectors around the world are ethical manufacturers, that they treat their workers right, pay them the right wages, they're healthy and safe working conditions. And so we educate the factories and buyers and brands that use those factories how this works. And then we also have actual training and educational programs where we are helping a variety of stakeholders around the world understand what this means and why it's important. Is that for 
fabric, complete garment. It uh, includes a variety of different elements, different materials. That includes uh, the actual textiles, so mills may be certified, thread uh, facilities, also buttons, and then it goes up to the actual garment themselves, or the shoe, or the handbag, the suitcase, etc. It can also include hang tags because that is part of the finished product that goes into the, the bag that ends up on the shop floor. But we do not certify from what can be called farm to store or dirt to shirt. We're focusing on the actual manufacturing facility, not at the farm level. So how many factories are you already doing this for and where in the world are you operating? Last year, we certified more than 2,500 factories in more than 40 countries around the world. And it includes all of the major sourcing destinations for apparel and footwear, as well as many of the new up-and-coming des destinations. Who pays you? Typically, the factory is the one that registers with us and seeks the certification. We're not a membership organization, so no one pays dues to us. A brand, a retailer is not paying us dues, nor is the factory paying dues. But for RAP is all about management systems, and we manage the process to ensure that there are real processes and checks and balances that go into this certification process of ethical manufacturers. And so we charge the factory a relatively small uh, management fee for that, and that's 1,195 US dollars. And of course, they may then you know, push that back through the various you know, costs of doing business to those that source from them. So as a sweatshop watchdog, who, why do I, as a factory, want to disclose whether I'm safe, lawful, humane, and ethical? I mean, wh why would I want someone coming in and, and giving me accreditation for that? Because my customers, if I'm the factory, my customers are demanding it. They need to know whether the factory that they are sourcing from is an ethical manufacturer. Why do they need to know? Because many other stakeholders are demanding that, including many of the actual customers, the guy and the gal who are going into any of the stores or online, they are increasingly aware of these issues and want to know that the product they're buying is ethically sourced. And also the investors in corporations, the SRIs, socially responsible investors, are very keen to know that the companies they're investing in, whether it's a large or a small brand or retailer, are ethical sourcing companies. Is there any branding that you do in addition of after certifying a, a, a factory that they would put like a hand tag saying that they were certified by you? RAP is not a consumer-facing organization, so the average consumer is not going to see our logo on the hang tag, 
but they're going to look at the corporate code of conduct and perhaps the information that the users, the brands and the retailers, they'll look at their information to see how they are achieving their, you know, the knowledge that they are sourcing ethically. That, that's interesting because, you know, obviously we see, are seeing this huge movement around sustainability, ethical manufacturing, and that's great. But on the flip side, we've seen so many different organizations grow up with different certification standards around the textiles and the mills. And I think sometimes there's confusion in the marketplace over what each label means. And so as I understand it, you have a different business model and, and are adding a different value than what's out there right now in the in the certification process. Is that correct? You guys are more on the back end and enforcing codes of conduct? And uh, if, that, if that's true, does that mean that the end customer is then responsible for knowing what the codes of conduct are for those factories? The end customer may not necessarily need to know the the very fine details of each corporate code of conduct, but it is safe to say that almost 100% of the codes of conduct are very similar. Probably 90% of all these different corporate codes of conduct are very much the same. They're all looking at child labor, forced labor, healthy and safe working conditions, structural integrity of, of buildings, those types of things. In this industry of socially responsible uh, manufacturing, etc., really got started in the mid-1990s when a number of European and U.S. brands and retailers found themselves in the headlines, you know, on television, uh, in newspapers, saying that some of these places are not ethical manufacturers, that they are sweatshops. And so they decided, we want to have a greater level of assurance that what we're doing is responsible, is ethical. Now, you can never say with 100% surety that uh, every facility is all the time an ethical manufacturer. But there are very many good and ethical manufacturers out there. And so a brand wants to have some level of assurance. And the certification that we at RAP provides does give a very strong indication of that level of assurance. But I want to understand something. I was a manufacturer. And if I'm the one that's paying you to come into my factory... What takes it that that day I clean up, make sure that there's no kids there, and make sure that everything is, is, is running, you know, to to a, a level of code of conduct that everybody's expecting? How is it that you do? And, um, yeah, how track is it that you track all there. these points when they're not there? And what else is there? You mentioned something, in addition to that, you mentioned something about can you get a little bit more of a deep dive into the things that you're looking at in the code of conduct? Because you we were talking about the human trafficking, and I was just curious because you didn't incorporate that in there. Hold that thought. That is a perfect place for us to jump into in the second segment. We will be back soon after our break on Material Is Your Business.
everybody. This is Vikram Iyer, former advisor to President Barack Obama. Have you been opening your Twitter account or Facebook feeds, or even just talking to families and friends and wondering what the heck is going on in this country? Well, it's not as bad as you think, but we're going to unpack that for you. Join me at the American Enough podcast on the Mouth Media Network as we unpack the policies, executive orders, and daily kerfuffles that are shaping not just this administration but the modern face of America's politics. Episodes available at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. You can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. And hear all of our episodes on materialisyourbusiness.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. We're back on Material Is Your Business with Clay Hickson from RAP. And right before we went to break, Samantha was kind of diving deeper into understanding. So you go into a factory on one day and you go through the accreditation process and the evaluation and help with their code of conduct. But what's to ensure on day two, day three and ongoing for the years to come that they meet those standards, that they don't just clean it up that one day that you're there? How does that work? Very simply, we do unannounced audits. So, yes, the factory registers with us. They know that we will be coming to do an audit. In fact, we encourage a facility to take their time before they register with us to get prepared. We have our self-assessment, a pre-audit self-assessment that's freely available to anyone to look at. And that self-assessment asks all the very same questions and for the same objective evidence that the auditors are going to be looking for on the day of the audit. So if they get prepared well in advance, they're going to do much better. And so they register with us, select from the list of accredited audit firms to come in and do the audit. That audit firm will then issue them an audit window. So a four-week period, they'll know within a four-week period that there will be a RAP auditor coming to do the assessment. But they're not going to know the day. So or, they have to behave the, in, a, in a month. <laughs> right, exactly. But because things can change from month to month, and maybe they think, okay, we've passed the exam, we can uh, forget all the words that we learned for spelling, we often then go back with our own staff auditors, RAP's own staff, to do what we call post-certification audits. That means three months, six months after the actual audit was, was done, we go back in with another unannounced audit to double-check, to make sure that the factory is still doing what it appeared to be doing on the day or the days of the audit. So and the, it's also a double check on the quality of the work that the auditors were doing themselves. So this is a yearly process, and once a year you're accrediting these? It's uh, Once you're accredited, it's lifelong? What's the time period? Most facilities, 85-plus percent of them, are on a one-year uh, cycle. So we go in September 1 of 2017, that, and they're certified then the next September, they should be coming back 
for re-audit, recertification. There are a few facilities who have three consecutive years of absolutely no problems that may be rewarded with a two-year platinum. And there are some facilities that we have a few questions about their management systems. We want to go back more quickly at six months. So in your employees, how, how does that, um, do you hire them to go into the factories or you, are, are there consultants for, for, for RAP? Well, RAP is a worldwide organization. Organizationally, we're a fairly small organization. We have 25 full-time staff based in different parts of the world. Most of these certification audits are done by third-party accredited auditors that work for large, medium, and small recognized monitoring firms. We do not employ or work with uh, freelancers. They have to be one of the a member of one of these uh, accredited firms that have their own management systems in place and that have gone through training that RAP staff ourselves have delivered to ensure that, that quality. And that's also why we do those post-certification audits to double-check that they are good auditors. I want to go back a step. And as you were going through that process and you do these unannounced audits or within a certain time window, let's say you go in and, and you do see child workers there. Is it a done deal and that never again can they be accredited by you? Is there a cure period or how does that work? Well, there are certainly zero tolerance policies that are out there. And child labor is one of them. That then doesn't necessarily mean that they are blacklisted for all time and eternity. They may be able to correct that issue and then we will go back and you know, verify that that correction has taken place. So just as you know, there may be minor or major uh, non-conformities in a factory at the time of an audit and there will be a corrective action plan that is put into place and we will have to verify that those corrective actions have actually been put into place and taken effect. So it's not, you correct it, tell us, and it's verified today. There usually has to be a 45-day period uh, of correction before we can go back and, and do that second check. You mentioned earlier about the human trafficking and can you talk to us a little bit about that? Uh, human trafficking, well. otherwise known as slavery, has been around in various forms for eons. But this issue of human trafficking, forced labor, is receiving more and more attention today because it is still a major issue. Yes. Yes. Uh, whether you're talking about Filipinos going to... Hong Kong or elsewhere, or Bangladeshis going to Jordan, or also in migration, people from internal part of China going to a different part of China. And how they get there, is it through agents? And have those agents charge them exorbitant fees that require them to pay back you know, three quarters of their salary for years and years? and doesn't allow them to return home, that is still forced labor because they're not free to leave yes. employment when they want to. So these issues are 
extremely hot button issues right now today. And we see problems in many destinations. Even in the U.S., we still have sweatshops. And, you know, RAP certifies facilities in many countries around the world, including in the Western world, because our problems haven't totally disappeared here. You know, there are major companies that whose CEOs have major problems themselves. And so we have to keep checking ourselves no matter at what level of economic development we may be. There's still no problems. So we're looking at these problems, and obviously you do incredible work as a watchdog and calling people out for the what they're doing right and wrong and how they can correct it. But have you seen since you guys started any either decrease in the numbers of what's been going on, any particular areas or jurisdictions that have significantly improved because of the work you do. Um, obviously, it's great that these topics are being talked about and that there's an organization like yours t- to watch over it. Um, where, can, where can we see the numbers? Does it help? Oh, over the years, you know, there, this industry it has made a lot of great strides in many different categories. Child labor is certainly one of those areas. In many countries in the earlier years, child labor in apparel factories was significant. Yep. There still are places where it is significant, but this industry has done fairly well in weeding out child labor. But still, even in China, which has been a major sourcing destination for several decades, every year we still find some cases of child labor. But it's not that they are 10 years old. It's probably that they are 14 years old. Mm -hmm. And maybe they're going into the factory where their mother is also working, particularly if it's the summertime. doesn't mean it's not child labor, but it is less of an issue in certain countries. So as we're looking at kind of the transparency and the changes that you're bringing about, a lot of people, even post-Bangladesh, they, their options were, were to leave the country entirely and not to go back and work with, um, with factories like that. But then you're depleting an entire economy and resource and wages for people. Do you think necessarily that that is the answer and are there alternatives with completely abandoning a certain region because of violations? That is a particularly thorny question and a very good one. It's thorny because, as you say, if you completely withdraw from a factory or from a whole country, then you put people out of work. Yes. You you take one South American country that reduced its minimum, the child, uh, the age for child labor uh, from 14 down to 12, because they said we would rather that these kids be in a structured work environment than on the street Mm -hmm. begging, selling drugs, or being prostituted. So you can understand that rationale. But having said that, the international standard set by UN, International Labor Organization, etc., is the minimum age for a child to work is 14. In underdeveloped countries, it's 14. In many other countries, more developed countries, they each set their own 
age. Mm -hmm. So in some countries, it's 17 or 18. And rap is all about following the local laws as well as international conventions. It's not simply about the U.S. or a Western entity coming into a country and saying, you have to do it our way. We're imposing this foreign concept on you. We look at the local laws and regulations. So if we go into a factory in a country that says the minimum age is 14 and it's a developing country, we can accept that. But if the next country says the minimum age is 18, we're not going to accept 14. Right. That yep. would be a non-conformity. Non so we want to be able to continue to work with a facility. RAP is not a name and shame sort of organization. We're not going to find out that a company has a problem and publish it all over the place simply for the fact of bringing something bad to light. We're not looking for problems for the sake of finding problems. We're looking for problems for the sake of addressing those problems and helping to correct them. So when there is a factory that has a problem, we create this corrective action plan and help them to figure out how to get better. And that's where we're entering into the topic that I would love to talk about right now because it's part of, it's, it's ingrained in me and it's the education portion. Mm -hmm. How do you go about it? How, how, how do you dive into the education portion and are the companies receptive towards it? Well, there are a variety of educational activities that RAP gets involved in. One may be simple, you know, conversations or seminars that we do around the world with both the producers, the manufacturers, and uh, other stakeholders like the buyers and brands or governments. So for instance, over the last several years, RAP has spent an increasing amount of time in Africa, which is an emerging sourcing destination. There isn't a huge amount of production there yet. In fact, of the 2,500 facilities that RAP has certified recently, only about 80 of those are in Africa. But because it's receiving, different regions of Africa are receiving greater attention, we focus, are focusing a lot of our time there. And uh, for instance, last year, I personally spent about two months of time in different parts of Africa, north, south, east, and west, doing some of these educational activities having seminars, working with different entities like uh, the USAID trade hub programs and uh, having seminars with factories, with governments, industry associations, helping them to understand what social compliance is and how they can implement it in their countries and also within the factories themselves so that they don't end up like some of the other countries where whole buildings may have collapsed killing thousands of people yes. we want to help industries correct the problems or become stronger before they ever end up with with these issues so that overall the sector around the world is stronger. And then if a country is focusing on that from the beginning, that makes them much more competitive. And particularly when consumers and particularly buyers and brands still care about price, quality, and lead time, and the economic pressures make meeting those 
those sourcing imperatives even more challenging. If they can say, we are an ethical manufacturer, that can give them a competitive advantage. So you've touched um, on Africa, obviously, as an emerging opportunity in a place where you're starting to grow in numbers. I see also listed on your business card, United States, Hong Kong, India, Thailand, Vietnam. Can you talk to us a little bit about the non-U.S. and U.S. kind of locations that you're serving in, in major areas? Well, the first word in RAP's name is worldwide. We uh, work all over the world. We've certified our first facility you know, almost 20 years ago in Central America, where many of the major issues started back then. But in uh, recent decades, Asia has been the major sourcing destination. China still is the largest sourcing destination, but increasingly other parts of Asia, Southeast Asia and mm -hmm. South Asia. So China is number one for us, followed very closely by Bangladesh, Vietnam, India, and then Indonesia, and still a lot in Latin America. There are facilities still in North America, in the U.S., in Canada. Los Angeles, North Carolina, New York are probably a couple of the hubs in the United States. But... Uh, Hopefully more later on. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. The, uh, there's a growing, growing manufactured in USA activity. And a worldwide watchdog right here. Uh, that's a good time to take a break. We'll be back with our final segment and some fun personal questions right after this. Hi, everyone. This is Mark Rico. I'm one of the hosts of Fashion Is Your Business, another great show on Mouth Media Network. If you like the podcast you're listening to, Material Is Your Business, then I bet you're going to love Fashion Is Your Business, which intersects fashion, technology, and innovation, and also American Fashion Podcast, which Harper's Bazaar calls for the true fashion nerd at heart. Both shows and a whole bunch of other great podcasts are all available at MouthMediaNetwork.com. And when you do listen, let us know you heard about them on Material Is Your Business. Thanks a lot. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Material Is Your Business. We're here with Clay Hickson from Rap, And it's time for... And now, and now it's, it's remnants. 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 That's right. Remnants are fun personal questions where we just get to know you a little bit better. And I'll ask the first question. Any particular role model, dead or alive, that's kind of been meaningful or someone you look to that has uh, given you the passion and drive to do what you do? Well, I think back to my ninth grade speech teacher. I didn't have a clue that I had any capacity to you know, really engage with people outside of my circle. In fact, at heart, I'm a shy guy. But when I signed up for that speech class in ninth grade, she brought out something in me that I hadn't seen in myself. And that was an ability to communicate with a whole host of different types of people. And that really helped set my career path. In college, I said, I want to be involved in helping facilitate 
greater international understanding, helping people from different countries and cultures communicate. And really every aspect of my career, even though it's been a winding path, has all been consistent there in helping facilitate greater international understanding and communication. That's great. I'm really into cultures, and I really love to see and, and, and understand different type of places to go and visit. I know you've traveled the world. Where is the place that you like the most and why? Well, that is a really hard question to narrow down an answer for because there are so many great and wonderful places and I think almost every place that I go to I find great interesting aspects that make me want to go back again and yes there are some armpits but I'm basically an optimistic positive sort of person and so one person's armpit is another person's paradise. Really. And the beauty is going back a few years later and seeing it develop. Right. So and where, connecting with people that you met before. So where were the last few places you've been? Well, just a few weeks ago, I was in Amsterdam. wasn't my first time in Amsterdam, but late August, early September in Amsterdam is beautiful. <laughs> Perfect weather, lots of parks to go walking through, great architecture, and friendly people, as long as you don't get run over by a bicycle. Yes. So you say it's one of your favorites, huh? It definitely is, is a favorite. But then earlier in life, I spent a number of years in Taiwan and greater parts of greater China, and I learned to speak Mandarin Chinese. So ah. Asia and China is still very near and dear to my heart. In fact, early in my career, I was called a China guy. <laughs> but one of the reasons that I am happy to be part of RAP and other organizations I've worked with in recent years is because they're not just focused on one part mm -hmm. of the world. And that allows me to travel to many different parts of the world, from Asia to Europe to Latin America and even across North America. Can you give us a final thought, maybe as you reflect back on your career or this interview or anything personally, anything you want to leave our listeners with? I think connections is a key thing to remember. Whether you're just getting started in your career and you want to build opportunities for the future, you need to look at people as mentors and as a, an opportunity to be a mentor, as someone to share information with and being able to reconnect with them over the years, over the decades. Just because you haven't seen somebody in five years or 20 years doesn't mean that that person isn't still, couldn't still be a good source of information or a good friend. One quick example, someone I worked with 25 years ago in Taiwan that I hadn't seen in 20 years. Five years ago when I joined RAP, I reconnected with him through LinkedIn and asked him if he could suggest some people for Southeast Asia that we might consider as we expanded there, just because I knew he'd lived there forever. 
turns out he had the very same skill set that we needed, and he's now part of our full-time team. Oh, hey. you never so know. keep mm. those connections alive. And how can everyone connect with you and with RAP? Our website is rapcompliance.org. That's W-R-A-P compliance.org. That's the website. And my email address is chickson, C-H-I-C-K-S-O-N, at rapcompliance.org. And I would welcome a, an email from anyone who might want to chat more, learn more. Great. Thank you so much, Clay, for joining us. It's been a very interesting conversation. Thank you both. And for Samantha Cortez, adios. I'm Stephanie Benedetto. Go change the world, everyone. Thanks for listening. Back soon with Material Is Your Business. This has been Material Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at materialisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, materialisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2017. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.